Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the business mindsets of leaders and brands and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business mind healthy. To continue the conversation, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Men's Envy is comfortably housed within Salon Envy right in the heart of Mornington. A true gentleman shop, Men's Envy is reminiscent of the classic barber shop where you pay for quality. Plus, you'll get to sit back, relax and enjoy killer cuts and hot towel shaves, all for the modern man. Barbers who love their craft, Men's Envy provide top-notch service, helping men stay sharp and groomed. Men's Envy Mornington, station sponsor. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. Our next guest is a Melbourne-based accredited business law specialist. He's also a mediator and managing principal of Sharrock Pittman Legal, a boutique commercial law practice. And he, the firm has celebrated 50 years uh, service to the community and in 2018 was awarded the Boutique Law Firm of the Year and David was also a finalist in the 2019 Law Institute of Victoria Award for Suburban Lawyer of the Year. He's also co-founder, or sorry, founder and convener of the School of Hard Knocks for Stressed Business People and the Reluctant Entrepreneurs, a quarterly business club. I need to find out more about this. I'd like to welcome to the program David Sharrock. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too, Jackie, and uh, to your, all your listeners as well. G'day. Thank you. And also your new book, I have to mention, Fighting for Enterprise Success Through the Eye of the Tiger. Now, we'll have a talk yes. about that in a minute, but let's just start yes. start with you, David. You've, uh, you've, you're a business law specialist, uh, but you've, you've sort of encroached into the field of entrepreneurship. How did that happen? I guess uh, over the years, I've just come to the realisation that you can be same old. Uh, any any uh, lawyer worth their salt can run a law firm in a traditional way and uh, do the same old things that lawyers do. But I got the sense, um, oh, well, always, I guess, but particularly over the last 10 years, that you needed to stand up and be different to make a difference. Otherwise, same old wouldn't cut it. You might survive in your business, in my case, in running a law firm, but uh, you wouldn't thrive, and particularly so in tough economic times, Jackie. Uh, that's the cruncher. So a little bit of um, entrepreneurial spirit and doing things different to make a difference is really what I'm all about. Yeah, well, I think you uh, you demonstrate that in your new book, Fighting for Enterprise Success. Uh, and it's interesting, David, isn't it? Because 60% of startups fail within the first three years. Now, that number is so horrific. And I don't understand why 
people, media, uh, business people don't talk about that more. It's all sort of rainbows and unicorns. Be an entrepreneur, start your own business, be your own boss, and that, which is great. I don't want to be pessimistic about this. Mm. I think that's really optimistic. But there's also this huge reality of those numbers are startling. So why well, do you think so many get it wrong? Oh, I think I think basically people uh, get this great idea uh, and off they go running with it. And commonly it's a, it's a crash or burn mentality. They put everything on the line, give it their best shot, not sort of really knowing what to do next or next or next in terms of planning, but more by the seat of their pants. Mm. That's extremely common in startup businesses, but frankly also in very well-established businesses. And that was my motivation, really, in writing the book, that I wanted to try to redress that and pull people back to the business fundamentals rather than, as I call it, running by the seat of the pants and, in particular, looking at the small to medium enterprises in Australia, which is actually 96% of uh, the business world in Australia. And that's... uh, you know, there's nothing to do with the top end of town. That's only the 4%. Mm. So we're looking at 96%. And when you put the startups in there and they crash and burn, by crikey, it does a lot of harm, a lot of damage to families and, and people as they uh, commonly fail. And we want to try and avoid that. Yeah, look, it's such a, it's such a great message. As I said, you know, 60% of startups fail in the first three years. 96% of businesses are run by the small business community. Yes. And as I yes. said earlier, those figures are startling. So it's great that you're out there being an ambassador for the, for the small business person. Now, let's get back to basic business yes. fundamentals. I really liked that concept. Uh, can yes. you just take us through what are some of the basic fundamentals that small business startups, entrepreneurs are forgetting about? Yes, um, and it's critically important. And each, uh, each business fundamental uh, complements the other. It's like a massive jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces are all everywhere at the start of a business, maybe in the middle of the business, which has been run in a traditional sense, and then it might have lost its way or gone a bit stale and stagnant or whatever. And so the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle all need to be put together one piece at a time over time. Uh, There's no rush here. Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, Though uh, we're particularly concerned about very tough economic times at the moment, and so that's a great motivator. How on earth do you get your business to thrive, not just survive, um, in very tough economic times? So it's important one step at a time, each business fundamental at a time. First, I think it's really important for any leader of an enterprise that's in the for-profit and not-for-profit sectors in Australia, for any leader to look at their own personal motivation for being in business, to look, um, to have a a good self-appraisal, looking at body, mind, well-being, relationships, these sorts of things, and then to develop resilience. Because one thing's for sure, Jackie, in running any enterprise, you're going to hit a brick wall and meet problems, challenges galore, 
that's just part and parcel of the deal. What you've got to do then is learn how to be resilient and bounce back, uh, not giving up, and uh, on it goes. But also uh, a business system is important, sort of like a McDonald's, if you like, Mm. uh, just running in a very systematised way, not by the seat of the pen, Um, Mm. with some modelling, some strategy, some good, sensible planning. Most people with planning go ho-hum, it's not worth it, I did it for my bank manager, why do I have to keep doing it uh, twice a year is what I would say, is a good uh, planning strategy. Well, you do because you've got to manoeuvre around the potholes in the road and see around the next bend. Uh, That's very important. Vision, values, principles, purpose. Workplace culture is of profound importance these days. Uh, Team building, uh, building leaders, getting customer-centric at each customer touch point, being entrepreneurial, creative, an innovator, looking at new business opportunities, getting out there, shaking the tree and seeing what might fall out. These are all really important things to to grapple with, but commonly there's uh, a murkiness there. People don't know what to do, where to go to tackle and get these fundamentals right so that the foundation is very strong and can withstand, the business can withstand the tough economic times which we Sadly, find ourselves uh, still these days, uh, long after the GFC, it seems like a different planet we're on, to tell you the truth, Mm. from the 80s and 90s, but there you go. Yeah, so what, David, what tip would you give someone listening now that is a small business, a start-up, entrepreneur, on pricing and finance, for instance? Oh, well, that's, that's a really important one and a very important financial... Look, being in tough economic times, I don't think it's a good time to be overly adventurous or taking high risk. By all means, in business, take a calculated risk. That's what you have to do every day, of Mm. course. And you can't sit on your bums and you can't quiver and quake. Um, You've got to take reasonable calculated risk. And without being a doomsdayer at all, I'm an optimist, but uh, you've still got to measure uh, what might be a worst-case scenario if I take this next step, uh, financially speaking, if I commit myself to the bank or or commit to a big purchase or an office uh, relocation and fit out or whatever it might be, um, that's the question to ask. Keep in the back of your mind, worst case scenario, if it doesn't turn out right, am I prepared for the consequences? And that's not to say you're not entrepreneurial. Mm. Uh, Quite the opposite. It's a sensible thing to do. With pricing, well, one of the, one of the things I say is the last thing you should do with your pricing is discount. Uh, that's almost like a dirty word in business. It's a last resort uh, where you discount your price. You set your price, no matter what industry or type of business, you set your price fair and reasonable all round to customers and to the business itself. That's the golden rule, and, um, and and that will cause you to reflect long and hard on what does in fact comprise a reasonable, fair and reasonable pricing. Um, and so it's quite a different approach rather than I'm going to gouge my customers and get what I can out of them. Yeah, that's that good, just, good advice. Yep, yeah, it just will not wash these days, Jackie. Mm. That sort of that that's gone. 
and we're now in a highly customer-centric environment. Every single thing we do in business revolves around the customers and we must work hard for them. And I would add that as a business leader, the paradigm for leading an enterprise in Australia is one of servanthood. It does not cut it either for your customers or for your team or for your other stakeholders to um, to um, uh, go for broke and uh, go all out for your own self-interest needs and concerns and making more and more dollars. That just simply does not cut it today. There's better ways of doing business in a paradigm which moves away from power and control and authority and, you know, profiteering uh, into a servant uh, servant approach to leadership and serving with whole heart and soul is what I would say is profoundly important. Yeah. Now, David, uh, just uh, we're running a little bit out of time, but I just sure. very quickly want to touch on you founded the School of Hard Knocks for Stressed <laughs> Business People. Tell yes. us very quickly what that's all about. Oh, that's named in honour of me, a reluctant entrepreneur, oh, okay. <laughs> stressed business person. We meet uh, quarterly in the city of Monash here in Melbourne far and wide. They don't uh, have to be our customers. Um, and we have um, some talks from guest speakers every meeting. Uh, we do a little TED-like talk. We do a business book review, a legal spotlight being a law firm, um, auspicing the, uh, the club. We do a legal spotlight to help business people. And uh, on it goes. And is it open for anyone to attend? Yes. Yes, yes, it is. It's so not just our customers if, at all. If anyone's anyway, interested, where could they find out more information? Um, probably the best thing is on our website, to tell you the truth, uh, au, and that's got all the detail of the business club on it, open to anyone, and, uh, yeah, uh, okay, people would great. be very welcome. David Sherrock, thank you so much for your precious time today. Welcome back. Our next guest has spent his career in the business of people. It's always a good place to start. From his early days in event management, recruiting and mobilising large volunteer teams for community events, he has navigated the challenge of leading at scale. He is a trainer, mentor and speaker to leaders and teams. I'd like to welcome to the show Shane Hatton. Thanks so much. Great to be having a conversation with you. Always good to have conversation with people like you, Shane. Your new book, you've just released a book called Lead the Room, Communicate a Message that Counts in Moments that Matter. Why did you choose leadership as your theme? Yeah, I think when leaders get better, I think we all know that the people around them get better, that teams get better. So I think if we pick a small group of people that lead and we help them to lead better, then I think we actually help a lot more people in the process of it. Okay. So you mentioned communicate a message that counts in moments that matter. What are some of those moments that matter? Uh, there's so many moments. I think one of the, at the essence of the book when I was writing, what we eventually land on this idea is there really is no unimportant moment to speak. Mm. I think every moment that we have that's an opportunity to speak to a group of people, ultimately is an opportunity to lead people. And I think the essence of it is that, hey, there is no unimportant moment. Um, every moment matters. Yeah, and being consistent, I'd imagine, would also be important. 
Yeah, being consistent. Yeah, consistent in what we're saying, but mm. also consistent in who we are. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, because you never know, that one person, you could be speaking to, you know, a handful of people and one person might just have that aha moment, but you might be speaking to 10,000 people and no one has it. So, you shouldn't always go by numbers. Yeah, I, oh, absolutely. I think I always encourage people to speak beyond the room and to think that they're always speaking beyond the room because every person that's sitting maybe physically in front of you is representing a team, an organisation, a circle of peers, of friends, of family. Uh, those people represent so many more people. Mm. And so, yeah, we're speaking to much more than just the people in front of us every time. Yeah, well, that's the premise of how social media works, isn't it? So that's how we work as people. And and if more business people actually thought about that a bit more deeply, to mm. think that what message are you communicating and is it a message that's simple enough to then be repeated again without it losing its its uh, its theme, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, everything we say is ultimately heard by somebody, overheard by somebody else, shared with those people, and then amplified to the rest of the world. And so I always encourage people, if, if you're going to say something, you need to be prepared for it to be amplified to the world. And if you're not, I'd definitely consider worth, whether it's worth saying. Yeah, okay. Now, uh, I noticed you've got three big obsessions, so I'm just going to touch on those. Uh, and the first one I particularly like, positioning. Tell us a little bit more what you mean by that. Yeah, I think this idea of positioning is, I think the world of leadership communication has changed, especially I think you touched on it with the idea of social media in the sense that at any given moment, something we say now can be blown up and shared with the world. I mean, whether you're, you know, you're starting a business and you think, well, you know, I've only got a few connections right now, but those people are connected to somebody who's connected to somebody else. And so there's potential for something we say now to really influence far beyond our own circle or our own network. And so I think positioning is really about how people place us in their mind. And so I often ask people is, you know, how would people place you in their mind? And the better question is, is that how you want to be placed? And if not, what can you do to change that? What can you do to shift that? Yeah, which is all related back to the power of the personal brand, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think I, I often think personal brand is a part of uh, your positioning. I think it runs a whole lot deeper than that. I think there's behind the scenes in terms of who you are, your character, um, which then gets exposed publicly and people see it as your credibility. Um, there's also your own narrative, which is the things that you say about yourself, but then that becomes your reputation, which is what other people would say about you. Mm. Yeah, and it's sort of trying to figure out which piece of real estate you want to own in your stakeholder's mind, I suppose, or customer's mind. And uh, you could have your own narrative, but if it's the same narrative as all your competitors are saying, then it's something worth considering that maybe you need to find a new a new gap to fill. Yeah, I mean, Patty McCord, um, who was the people chief people officer at Netflix, she said, if people aren't informed by you, they'll probably be misinformed by somebody else. And I think it's just about deciding, okay, well, what's that, that piece of real estate? What's that place that I want to own? And what can I do to be um, reinforcing that and making decisions that kind of align with that? Mm, yeah. Now, your second obsession is messaging. Really, yeah. really important. Tell me about that obsession. Yeah, I think the big difference here is is the difference between just saying something and having something valuable to say. Uh, messaging, I think, uh, as you know, is this, this piece of going, do I have something that's valuable 
uh, to say? And then how do I say that in a way that actually cuts through? Because, I mean, we have so much access to information. We've got more access to information in, in the palm of our hand than we've ever had before. And so I think it's becoming more and more challenging to make sure that when we have a message that cuts through all of that noise and actually resonates and sticks to the people that we're communicating to. Yeah, that's really good. Now your third one, developing, um, getting better at thinking or investing in yourself. This is a real theme at the moment and a great theme. Uh, Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I think we we always need to be asking ourselves, well, how could I get better at what what I'm doing here? Uh, I think it's a piece of a much bigger puzzle. Obviously, we need to make sure we're positioned well. Yes, we need to have something to say, but we also need to make sure that we're out there just you know, getting our feet on the ground and running it out and practicing it and developing it, just like the way we learn to play a guitar, we learn to drive a golf ball. Anything we do takes time, investment and practice. And I think it's, it would be um, wrong to assume that the person who's you know, driving a dead straight golf ball or the person who's leaping through the air has done that without some kind of investment, time and practice, mm-hmm. and probably a bunch of failure along the way as well. Uh, so I think we, we, we tend to, we need to get better at how we fail as well as how we uh, invest in ourselves. Yeah, so how, how could you leverage your influence? To leverage your influence? Yeah, so what, yeah. what sort of tools could you use to leverage your influence? Yeah, I think once you've decided, well, how is it that I want to be known, um, and, and you've really decided, yeah, this is the narrative that I want to create for myself. I mean, there's, 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 it's now then just asking the question, what can I do with that? So, I mean, there's ways that you can write regularly on that subject matter. Um, you can share your ideas with the world. I think one of the challenges, we, we have really great ideas and we're really great subject matter experts, but we often don't share that and contribute that with other, uh, to the world. And so it's finding what are some avenues that I can communicate with that, whether it's writing LinkedIn articles, whether it's writing through your own website, whether it's just generating a list of people, um, a bit of a tribe and a bit of a community that you can share those ideas with. Um, the important thing is just to start getting those ideas out into the world and having the confidence to, to publish and share those ideas. Yeah, now I noticed uh, in your bio it said that you had a fear of public speaking. Is that right? Yeah, it's quite ironic, really, when you think about it, that the whole book is, is based around this. And I think a big uh, reason as to why I wrote the book is I often find people have two challenges around public speaking. The first one is usually this, this sense of um, confidence, which is, you know, I'm not really sure if I can do it. Um, or the other one is really that sense of clarity, which is I've got some ideas, I just don't know how to share them. And I've honestly found the best way to address that is the confidence piece is just pure practice, giving people the chance to do something. Um, and to deal with the clarity issues, just giving people a process or a framework that can help them, uh, almost like a bit of scaffolding or a set of training wheels around the ideas. So the book for me is really just a, a set of um, training wheels or scaffolding or a bit of a process for people that can follow uh, to hopefully just to give them a chance to get out there and practice more. So firstly, how did you know that you had a fear of public speaking? What were the clues? Yeah, I think any time somebody mentioned um, the opportunity to come and stand in front of a group of people and I felt like I was going to throw up, that's usually a pretty good sign. Okay, yep. Um, <laughs> feeling sick in your stomach. Um, and and often there's the, you know, the often symptoms we see, you know, you're shaking hands, you're shaking voice, you get a bit sweaty, um, feeling a bit anxious around even just the idea of getting up to speak. And I think we can learn um, that those are actually very normal um, symptoms over time, but they're probably a good indicator that something is, is triggering some kind of fight or flight response for you. Yeah, and so what did you do to get over it? Yeah, I think the first thing is you've got to be able to uh, recognise what's actually taking place. Um, so anytime you're feeling, you know, sick in your stomach or your hands are shaking, 
that's actually a very normal threat response and it's basically protected us and kept us safe for a long time. And so when we recognise what's actually taking place, uh, we don't read into the wrong thing. So we're not thinking that, you know, it's about anxiety or nerves. We're just going, okay, where am I feeling threatened right now? And it's probably as a result of some internal conversation we're having with ourselves. And maybe the conversation is you can't make a mistake, don't stuff this up. And so we need to get control over that conversation, begin to reframe that in a way that's a bit more helpful for you. Um, so choosing some, to reframe some of those internal conversations. And then ultimately the, the next step is just to refocus our attention on uh, on the people of the, in the room that we're speaking to. Um, it often tends to pull our focus very internal, and I think one of the great ways to overcome that is to focus our, uh, our attention out. Yeah, that's a really good tip. What's, uh, what's one of the self-talk lines that you give yourself now, Shane, just before you're about to speak to any size group? Is there a, is there a, uh, a mantra or a phrase yeah. that you goes through your head? Yeah, I, I think there's lots of conversations that I tended to have internally that were very fixed um, beliefs, which is, you know, you can't make a mistake, you can't stuff this up, you know, it has to be perfect. I think what I've learned now is, is people are actually okay and they forgive you for being imperfect. Um, they often won't forgive you for being unprepared, mm. but they will forgive you for being imperfect. So now before I'm getting up and saying to myself, you know what, if you make a mistake, that's okay, you're human. Um, just keep moving forward. And, and I honestly find that when they're, they're not those fixed beliefs, it actually makes it a lot easier to, to stand up and speak. Yeah, one of my techniques is to make fun of myself. I think, well, if I do that first and get in before anyone else can. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit common, much more common. But, but, yeah, it's certainly a very a very common, much more common issue. And people in business have to speak, whether you, you're not always speaking in conferences or seminars, but you might be speaking mm. to your team, you might be going for a job interview, you might be pitching for business. Uh, yeah. it, there's lots of speaking to be done in business. So I just wish that somehow we could practice that a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is, often people who are very entrepreneurial, they're starting businesses or they, they've got great ideas and they need to share those ideas with the world. It can be that one thing that stands in the way of a really great idea getting out into the world. And yeah, I definitely think we need to, we need to move past it. Well, it's funny, it's one of my theories, one of them, about social media. It's like you can get your ideas and, and thoughts heard without having to get up and speak publicly. Yeah, and, and the challenge then becomes that there's just so much noise in that yes, space. Yes, right. That yeah. it, it makes it harder and harder to get your idea to cut through. Exactly right. So go back to practicing mm -hmm. your public speaking. That's what it always comes back to. Anyway, Shane Hatton, thank you so much for your precious time today. Your new book, Lead the Room, Communicate a Message that Counts in Moments that Matter. People can find that book on your website, shanehatton.com. And uh, I believe you hang around LinkedIn and Twitter as well. I certainly do. Wonderful. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this very short break. Welcome back. Our next guest is an expert in career development, talent management and organisational leadership. He's the co-founder of HR consulting firm Deliberate Practice and he helps aspiring, emerging and experienced leaders to develop their everyday skill set. And he's just written his first book titled Career Conversations, How to Get the Best from Your Talent Pool. Welcome to the show, Greg Smith. Thank you very much, Jackie. Good to have you here. Your first book, congratulations. It's always quite an, an achievement, that first one. It is, thank you. Was the process uh, easy, hard? What was uh, it for you? Well, it took two years mm. and I 
I uh, Googled how to write a book. Oh, really? <laughs> oddly, enough, <laughs> oddly enough, it said uh, expected to take two years. And it, from the day I started uh, writing it to the day it was published was exactly two years. So it was a thoroughly, really a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Oh, that's good. Did you have some guidance? Did you get some, some mentor or some advice along the way? Not really. I, I just, uh, as I said, uh, looked at what was available on the internet on, on how to write a book. And I had, uh, I had this idea for this particular book gestating for quite some time uh, before I put pen to paper. But, uh, uh, but no, largely just uh, got on with doing it, which was pretty much what the advice was that I was given. Okay. Just, uh, you, outline you, and, and, yeah. and start writing. Okay. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you have a process? Like, did you say, right, I'm going to write for 30 minutes every day or did you go for three-hour blocks? Yeah, I tried, to, I tried to do a, a word count every day, um, but there were some days that I didn't make it uh, at all and other days where uh, the words just flowed. But I'd have to say also my publisher, John Wiley, was just terrific. Um, in guiding me, particularly with the finished work, uh, through to making sure that it was actually achieving my objectives and structurally was 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 correct, and uh, and of course the the expression. So, but I can't uh, speak enough for for John Wiley and the, and the, the whole team um, there in terms of helping me. Yeah, well, um, they're they're consistently good. So I think you've you've chosen you've chosen well there. Now yeah. I I enjoyed I enjoyed it very much. I found it really easy to read, uh, and there was a couple of elements there in it that I found particularly attractive. And uh, one it was chapter three, fit your own mask first. And you use an Oscar Wilde uh, quote, which I do like. This one: "Be yourself, everyone else is taken." So can you just tell us a little bit about what you mean by fit your own mask first? Sure. Well, like with any leadership activity, um, it, it, you know, it, it, there's a lot that's spoken about being comfortable in your own skin to be a great leader. And that's so true uh, for being a career coaching leader. So to, to be able to help other people um, and help them with their own self-awareness, it's, 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 you, know, you really need to be uh, pretty in touch with your own um, capabilities and attributes and values. Um, and in that way, then you can help others do that. So that's why I had that idea of fit your own mask first yeah, um, before you start trying to help other people. Yeah, and I think that's somehow overlooked a lot. Have you had a, is, is, is that your experience? Uh, yeah, surprisingly, um, mm. you know, the work that I've been involved in with uh, very, very senior leaders who, who find... Um, starting from that position of actually having a good look at their own uh, capabilities and attributes and and, uh, and competencies and values, that they find it quite a cathartic experience and, and thinking, gee, I've often had it said, uh, again, by senior leaders, how um, enlightening they've found it and, and they wish they'd done it a number of years earlier. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really key. And you talk about listening, and there was one mm-hmm. uh, heading that you had that uh, really took my attention, and I loved it. it. Was persuade with your ears? I had never heard that before, and I thought that was <laughs> that was wonderful. So tell us a little bit what you meant by that. Well, I think uh, if you know, listening is one of those skills that you never stop learning to to develop, and that's why I don't like attaching a. A number a rating to it in terms of how good is your listening skills because how do your listening skills because um, I, I think if you know wherever you rate yourself you know if you if you said rating yourself four out of five you think well I'm nearly as good as I can be but I think but I don't I'm not a fan of that because I don't think you ever should 
stop developing that skill. It should be a lifelong journey, no matter how good you are now. I think if there was something that you could take away from from even today's conversation, Jackie, it'd be, it would be just that. You know, really focus on developing your listening skills. And I've got a saying that um, you don't know the question you've asked till you've actually heard the answer to it. And and I think that's so true. And I think if you can have your radar up and listen with more than your ears. So you're know, watching for people's animation and their body language and their tone of voice, etc., are all important signals in terms of what they may be trying to convey to you more than the actual words they use. Yeah, that's a, that's a great insight. Uh, the other area, and I suppose I had a, a, a personal interest in this or a professional interest, was about mm. what's your personal brand. Mm. So just tell us a little bit about how important a personal brand is, not so much for a entrepreneur but an employee so why is it important for an employee to have a personal brand well it's really really quite critical and the reality is everyone's got a personal brand they may not even know what it they may not know that but they actually do have a personal brand so it's it's a way of expressing what you what you stand for um and uh, and that goes right to the to your values, most importantly. And the applications for it you know, nowadays is in, particularly in social media like uh, LinkedIn, for instance, as a professional network. Mm. It's really critical that you um, manage your own brand and, and make sure that the perceptions are matching reality. And the best way to do that is to take charge of it yourself and not, not let others craft it for you, but actually craft your own brand because it's, it's going to effectively be what you stand for, and that will in, impact on uh, what potential employers may see in you or perhaps potential clients of your business may see in you. Um, so it's a really, really critical aspect to, to develop and, and uh, cultivate. And we're very familiar with product brands, but uh, when it comes to our own personal brands, we, we don't pay, or sometimes we don't pay as much attention to it as we should. Yeah, default or design, people will uh, will will come up with that either way. So design's right. always going to be the preferable route, I'd say. Uh, yeah. And also with with employees, if you're looking at uh, if, if you're ambitious within within an organisation or just wanting to get noticed or mm. wanting to sort of get out there, um, sometimes your own perception of yourself can be quite different from how others see you. So how mm. would you advise an employee to get feedback from how other people perceive you? Well, there's some really, really uh, uh, standard uh, ways of doing that. If you're a leader now, you've probably had a 360 done or maybe you haven't, but mm. that's, that's, a, that's a great place to start, yep. having a 360-degree survey conducted. Um, and you know, your organisation may routinely do that already, but if they don't, I'd perhaps suggest doing that. Um, is a great way to do that. And also just talking to other people, just ask them, what are your perceptions? And um, looking at what people write about you and, and uh, what they post on, on social media, for instance, and other, are other valuable sources. But in a leadership context, certainly uh, a 360-degree feedback survey is a great way to, to get some very direct and objective feedback. Yeah, another another idea I suggest is uh, you mentioned LinkedIn is to mm. ask for testimonials and then start looking at the, the particularly the verbs or adjectives that people are using to describe you and yeah. start looking for some common threads and that might then give you an insight 
into it as well. Um, That's now, a terrific yeah, idea, Jackie. Yeah. So speaking of LinkedIn, Greg, um, I noticed there, and, it, and it's always been a topic of interest for me, and, and I can never, I always have this disagreement with a number of LinkedIn experts that can never agree, do you write your LinkedIn profile in the first person or do you write it in the third person? What's your <laughs> view? Well, my view is... Um, is is to write in the first person, mm-hmm. um, unlike um, perhaps uh, a resume, for instance, which is not, which I'm not a fan of, of writing in the first person. But in in a LinkedIn um, profile is really really important, and it's a way of you actually expressing or letting the readers know what you're really all about, and letting them get to know you a little bit. So a resume is more of a statement about your capabilities and where you're targeting your career and what have you. And a LinkedIn profile is that as well. But it's actually, I think it's an opportunity to uh, be far more personal about what you believe in and your, your, you know, uh, what, well, I put in my um, LinkedIn profile that careers and leadership fascinate me, for instance. And I probably wouldn't write that in in a um a resume, for instance, where I'm talking more more to capability, mm. but I, I would definitely uh, my preference is first person and let the write in a way that readers can actually get to know you as a person. Yeah, I might need to go back and revisit because I had it in first person. Then LinkedIn experts said, "Oh, you've got to write in third person, Jackie." So <laughs> I did that. I might need to go back and revisit. But I think that's that's the message. There is not just to write it and leave it; is to to keep it up to date and re- revisit it, refresh it. Yeah, I think some people make the mistake of just somehow doing a cut and paste from their resume into their LinkedIn profile, mm. which I definitely wouldn't recommend. No. So it's, as a, coming back to your point about personal branding, it's a, it's a very really it's a really powerful way to personally brand yourself. Um, and uh, perhaps have a look at my my uh, LinkedIn profile, and you'll get a bit of an idea of, of what I think about it. And, and it's a really powerful branding tool. And now part of your book, you mentioned who's uh, I'm a big fan of his work, Malcolm Gladwell, and yep. you mentioned his work on the tipping point. Just quickly mm-hmm. tell us about that. Yeah, well, I, I really uh, tipping point was written uh, a, a number of years ago now, um, but I think it's still really current. It's often quoted. You'll hear it uh, being quoted in all sorts of different forums now. Uh, um, as the, the, the so-called tipping point, but it's, it was coined by Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell, and he spoke about it in his book uh, of the same name as a way, uh, at the point at which something becomes an ep- epidemic. And he spoke about it in terms of health epidemics or in ter- terms of um, or fads uh, that took off. For instance, he gave an example of uh, hush puppies which uh, many of your listeners <laughs> may not even remember, but the, um, they were down to apparently their last 30,000 pairs. And a small cult group in Greenwich Village uh, happened to adopt them, and suddenly the whole brand took off again globally. And, it's, um, and he picked up on these themes and patterns that would occur and reach this uh, so-called tipping point where it would really accelerate. And in an organisational context, I'd often think about it as a way to get a ripple through an organisation. So, as a particularly in a low energy way, uh, of getting the ripple through the organisation um, of, of what you're trying to uh, what you're trying to develop, and and therefore hit uh, you know that so-called tipping point. He also spoke about the, the rule of 150, where he said it was really hard to manage organisations over uh, 150 people. 
mm-hmm. uh, before you had to start putting managers in who would then filter the information from the from the organisation. So, um, and he spoke about a private organisation that built factories within close proximity to each other um, uh, with only 150 car spaces. And when, he was, when the owner of the factory was asked, well, how do you know when it's time to build a new factory? He'd say, well, when people stop parking on the, on the grass, <laughs> when, <laughs> when they start parking on the grass. Mm, so, mm. But it's a, it's a terrific... It's, uh, in, I think it's about 200 pages, and nowhere there he talks about systems theory, but that's effectively what it's all about. Yeah, he's got another Blink. Have you read Blink? Yes, I have, yeah. yeah. Terrific book. Yeah, yeah, it's great. All his work is, is really great. Uh, yeah, but highly you're... recommend it. The tipping yeah. point, despite its age, is I would highly recommend uh, your readers. To, uh, it's enjoyable reading, even if you've got no interest in the subject at all. Yeah. Um, it's just an enjoyable couple hundred pages. Well, it's a bit like um, Dale C- Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's still relevant. It's probably more yeah. relevant than when he wrote it. So, yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. uh, it's all interesting yeah. stuff. And your book, we better get back to your book, Career Conversations, Greg Smith, How to Get the Best from Your Talent Pool. Really enjoyed it. Those that want to find out a bit more about you and find where to get the book, they can find you at deliberatepractice.com.au and I believe that you hang around on Twitter and also, of course, your LinkedIn. You've got to look at your LinkedIn page. (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous. Thank you, Greg Smith, for your time today. Thanks so much, Jackie. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying eavesdropping on these interesting conversations. We'll be right back. That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learn something new or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you've missed a lot, but the podcast will be available on my social media, Jackie Mitchell. Thank you to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business mindset.